Craggy Rugby Podcast. I'm Rob Murphy. Alan is away. He's not with us, basically. He's at home. We're away. William Davis, welcome along. Good evening, Rob. Lily McKenzie, welcome along. Evening, Rob. Evening. We are stopped at a roadside stop, motorway services centre, whatever the hell you want to call it. And we're heading home. A conic of loss to the Dragons. Okay, we've got lots to talk about. I know we sound a bit glum here, but you'll understand why, because you'll have already seen the result. But here, just to dissect it, to give you some instant reaction, to give you some post-game reaction, and then we'll be back here to talk a little bit more about some of our concerns. Will we just start by quick story of the game? Dragons haven't played well so far this season, but they really want to spark today. They might be able to do it as well. Dragons are making the break. Nice little bit of offloading, and now they've got the chance in the corner. They're about to score. Hannah Amos has got it. Wonderful stuff from Amos. It was Kenny who made the pass. Brilliant stuff for Kenny. And Avis, what an outstanding finish, but it really did just come from nowhere, William. Yeah, it was good fast hands in the centre there. Dara Leader maybe slightly caught in two minds. He got his tackle in, but it was almost an afterthought, and it just sped along the line, and Amos was, was clear and, and ran in. Can they get the men around them? They can. They're five metres from the line underneath the post. They have an advantage as well coming their way. Carty is going to skip Farrell, give it to Aki. Aki knocks it on. Don't think he expected it to come to him. Penalty to Connacht in front of the post. William. Better play by Connacht. Uh, good hands. A little bit disappointed at the end because Bundy actually had a bit of space out there, but I, don't, I just don't think he was expecting it. Uh, it's a penalty straight in front of the post and his obvious decision will be to take the points. Uh, kicking tee coming on for Connacht. Um good possession off the line out they had to work hard twice at the breakdown they they nearly got driven off it but they it was good work by uh, on one occasion from Cannon just to do the very simple thing which is to pick the ball up and get in a good body position just to give themselves that little half second hmm. to recycle and saved a, what looked like a certain turnover from the Dragons who were really attacking the breakdown Jack Cardi has this opportunity to get Connick back into the, or get on the scoreboard and back into the game too five points to three now he's right in front of the post he was never going to miss that Cardi trots back so do Connick not a bad start some good carries I think all the forwards got in on that Jake Heenan had a couple of neat carries as well so it's been a decent start in terms of getting their hands on the ball there and going through a few phases good, good response would be the right way to put it Hectic game so far. The Dragons 10 metres from the Connacht line. Again, they lob it up. You're listening to us here on GoIBFM.ie. Exclusive uninterrupted coverage here online, but we'll be in and out on FM as well with the soccer. The Dragons have won the line out. They've come around the side and they've made a couple of good little flurries towards that line. They're now only two metres from the Connacht line. They've got one try on the board. They're looking for another one. Ball is whipped out. Underneath the post they go and they're stopped as short, but they come around the side and they've got the try. Connick went to sleep at the fringes. Four phases off for the line out. And the Dragons score. We'll get a confirmation of the score in a couple of seconds. Two tries to zip. Ten points to three. Hallam Amos. The try score in the early stages. That's a lovely offloaded contact. Here's the man again. Ollie Griffiths. Really impressed with him. One cap for Wales already. He'll be getting plenty more he continues at this pace a man that you might hear more of as the seasons go on is Leon Brown he's carried very well an advantage coming Dragon's way you've got to believe the yellow cards are coming out with all these penalties at some point but they're going to try and attack the short side somehow Jack Cardi got across to save the day the Dragons made 20 metres along the sideline here goes Sarah Pretorius what a line Pretorius took there he's tackled 5 metres from the line Connacht all over the place now it's a long time since I've seen a Connacht team away from home looking so disjointed so so 
out of their depth at the moment. It's really messy stuff. Jaquita tries to come in and disrupt, but it's not happening there. Elliot D looking for his second try. Very, very big tackles going in there in defence. Bundiaki played a part in that, but another advantage to the Dragons. And Iaki was deemed to be on the wrong side. Penalty underneath the post. Quick tap from Sarah Pretorius. He goes towards the line as he got the touchdown. He's held up, I think. No TMO. Quinton Immelman has uh, blown the whistle. I hope he's not going to call for TMO because he doesn't have one. So he's going to stop play and possibly yellow card time. Surely yellow card time. There has to be very close to a car. There's just one one penalty after another uh, it's become totally disjointed there's, there's players running around all over the place so there's no obvious pattern to it um, Quinn Roo, James Cannon being, being, being caught for speed at times and it just hasn't the, the Dragons have just fed on the scores this was the, the point we made before the start referees having a long chat yellow card and it was coming you cannot fault that decision for the referee Connacht have given away the last five or six penalties I would estimate and it's Cannon three injuries in the Dragons backline as William said that is a problem for them Gavin Henson's boot has helped them they've kicked three penalties as well as those two tries as we head back to studio here in Rodney Parade it's currently the home side dominating 21 points to three big few minutes for Dave Heffernan he's trying to find his way in ahead of Tom McCartney who has that position nailed down McCartney hasn't had a good first half which is unlike him Heffernan had a good summer got his cap for Ireland has started really well in the second half here started really well he's, he's looked for the ball and he's, he's run he's just run good hard lines but this is a big test now this line out well this is the other part of the game you have to get right when you're the hooker when you're the, the guy throwing into a, a, a penalty line out like this you know, it's it's all on you. The, the pressure has gone from the guy who would be kicking for goal to you. It's 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 your decision. You've got to get this spot on. The Ballina man gets himself ready. Five meters from the Dragons line. Connick line out. Pressure on, but they've got it. The mall is set, and Connick now going to try and roll towards that line. The Dragons coming through on it very very well, but illegally so. And Connick are still on their feet. This is the chance then, but they're being driven back in field. They have the advantage. If they could spin off this, anything could happen. They have spun off and they're going towards the line. They try to get over. They've got the try. Huge moment in this game. More than just a reprieve, a big momentum change. 13 minutes into the second half. Heffernan hit his man. I think it was Rue at the front. And it's Quinn Rue's got the try. Last play of the game. The Dragons are leading by 13. They have two tries on the board. All they have to do is kick the touch and we are done. This will be the full-time whistle, and we'll get one final talk from William on FM. We'll continue on goibfm.ie to wrap up this game. That's the referee's whistle. That is the full-time whistle. The Dragons, 21. Connacht, 8. Final thoughts, William? It's a bit of a lesson in the first half for Connacht. They've had a, a really tough night. They played a lot better in the second half, but mm, with all the possession, they could only score one try and score five points. Um... They're going to have to up a lot of things. Uh, they're probably slightly concerned. We, do, we don't know why the players were brought on at halftime. They made a huge difference. Finlay Bealham made a difference when he came on a bit later on. Um, but, you know, you can't keep playing the same players all the time. Kieran Marmion probably was the, was the key to that second half performance, just to put a bit of pace uh, to what Connacht were trying to do. But they weren't threatening enough. And when that second line out failed inside the Dragons 22 it just slipped away for by the end it looked further away than ever it was 
Yes, and we do feel that if you hadn't been facing a team that had gone on such a losing streak, it could have even been worse than that first half. Uh, the Dragons just decided to get, go for the three points at every opportunity to build a lead. 21 points to eight in the end. They have won this with two tries, and they've deserved it. And there's no doubt about it. You, you have to look at this. I mean, you're saying we don't know why those changes were made, but we can surmise, William, that the men who went off at halftime, there was a big statement from Kieran Keane. It seems, it seems to us, it was a big statement to make three changes. Kieran Marmion on for Blade, didn't necessarily look injured. Same said for Tom McCartney. We don't know for sure. Dave Heffernan on. And of course, Jared Butler on for Jake Heenan. Those three names, he did in particular give away a penalty in that first half that really shouldn't have and just not look at himself. McCartney missing a key line out in that first half. Players were misfiring. The changes brought about something. But I'm just wondering if we could overpraise them on the second half display because you're just highlighting there. For all that possession, one try doesn't, doesn't cut it. No, you can't take very much out of the second half at all. They, they, they got back to uh, playing at a much better level, but didn't, didn't really amount to very much in the end. Um, and when you have that much possession and sort of various bits of field position, you, you would need to be considerably more accurate and you'd want to have scored more points. I, do, I, just, I just genuinely... I'm at a bit of a loss to explain the first half performance. I think it is concerning that um, those sort of changes had to be made. I, I, I feel they were made for tactical reasons, that there was a, a real feeling that uh, this just wasn't working. And Kieran Kane has spoken a couple of times uh, in interviews about the fact that he has maybe two, not so much two squads, but he's got some players operating at a higher level than the other players. Um, well, it's his job and the management's job to get them all up to the right level. This league happens very quickly. The games just roll on one after the other. And really, we, we're still not sure, three games in, what game we're trying to play. Um, at times tonight, they, they did get the ball moving. They did have players getting into good positions. But without Alton Delan, like he was operating last week to bash up the middle, uh, it all just, it just wasn't, it wasn't decisive enough. And the Dragons were able to snuff it out pretty much at will. Um, but it's, it's, it's a difficult start. Um, you know, you might have been, you'd have been probably, deep down, you might have been looking for 3-0. As it is, it's 1-2. and two. This is big. This is a team that have been bottom three for many many years in this competition and this is a team that are showing a little bit of potential a real mix I was looking at their stats nine of their players were 23 or younger that started today five of them are 31 or older so you put that in between bracket and that's where it's very hard for a team like Dragons to, comp to compete with the other regions because you can't get those players in their prime they have a nice little mix here and this is a big night for them it's a huge night for them I mean, it's, it's a huge rugby area it's a massive rugby area. Newport, phenomenally successful club, produced 51 Lions, I think. Um, 31. 31, okay. A slight bit of Welsh exaggeration there. But beat every South South Southern Hemisphere team at some point or another in their history. They beat New Zealand here, they beat Australia and South Africa. Yeah, so that's what you're dealing with. And then you go up into the valleys and your Ponty Poos and your Ponty Preeds and the feeder teams came in. And this franchise or setup team never worked it just never got together 
the Celtic Warriors arguably worked better, and that's saying something because the idea of them Bridgend and Pontypridd merging at the time seemed daft. But like this one, just didn't have a spark. It didn't. The fans didn't buy into it. They they never created a fan base. Um, there's a lot of issues in Wales about you know there's people who support clubs who wouldn't dream of even coming to a game here. But Jackman has come in. Fair play to Bernard Jackman. Uh, with the help of the Welsh Rugby Union, this club nearly went bust in the summer. They've put money in. He's come with an idea of involving people. And there's open training sessions. There's, they've gone out to the valleys, to the smaller clubs to train. It's, they're trying to develop something of a community atmosphere. And it was badly needed. And so far, the first two performances didn't really happen. But tonight, this place was absolutely bouncing. People are excited. Best atmosphere I've seen here, and I've been coming here for many, many years, and so have you. Best atmosphere I've experienced here. It's a pretty incredible atmosphere, actually, and that's, that's a sign that things are changing. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a small start. Um, because yeah, if they're be- going to still have a tough this year. Yeah, if you're being honest, they have, they've beaten a pretty, pretty average Connacht team this evening. Which <laughs> segues nicely onto our concerns. I mean, I was very concerned after week one, and I said as much. Uh, the Glasgow defeat for me felt like a massive defeat. And I wasn't going to buy into this fact that you need to take a breath, it's only the first game, because it was a huge first game. Grand week two against Southern Kings. I think we all suspected that was almost meaningless because the Kings were so poor. This is dreadful tonight. And this is one from three. This is Cardiff next week, which won't be easy. And then you're looking at Scarlet's away, Ulster away, Munster at home. You could be looking at Connacht being somewhere in the region of two from six. That won't be a good start. No, it's, it, is, it is concerning. Um... I think, look, it's pretty obvious that the seven changes didn't work. Yeah, you, let's, let's get on to that, because you were, you were scratching your head at that, because of the importance of this game. You were just wondering, why make those changes now? Why not next week, perhaps, against Cardiff? Yeah, I thought, I thought it was slightly odd time to do it. I, I can understand why it was... I, I can understand the logic behind it, but I'm not sure that the timing... And it just didn't work. And, it, you know, we, we have to take it that that's why the changes came at half-time. Um, what, whatever you say about this championship league whatever you want to call it these games come around thick and fast the away this is a typical away game against any of these sides it's hard it's physical you've got a big noisy crowd um and we just didn't look at it this evening at all in the first half and even when we didn't get better in the second half there was still there wasn't enough threat really coming from Connacht despite all the possession um, they just didn't look. They didn't look ready. They started off okay, but once uh, the the dragons fed off the, their first try, and they just dominated. At for Connacht fell apart. The lineout was wrong. It was penalty after penalty. Some of them were really stupid penalties. Um, and that sort of discipline issue shows a side that's that's not on their game and, and not and not where they need to be. What would you want to hear from Kieran Keenan? I'd want him to be um, pretty blunt in his assessment that this 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 sort of a perform you know if you keep doing this sort of a performance away from home uh, it's pretty obvious you're 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 not going to go anywhere you're going to start to drift. The thing about conferences is you can they're slightly different to leagues. You 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 have to forget what's going on in the other conference. You got to keep an eye on it. But what's going on in your own conference? is where you um, you finish up with a situation that you it can it can just drift 
and you finish up with two, maybe three teams at the top, and then you've got a bit in the middle, and there's usually one side down the bottom being absolutely uh, nailed. And Connacht don't want to be down in, in the bottom of that. It's, uh, I assume he's, he's, he'll have learned a bit this evening. He may have looked at it, and, and maybe he realises that there's a few players aren't maybe at the level that he's expecting them to be at. They've been given chances. Um, I would think he, I expect he, whatever he says to the media, he'd probably say it would be a lot tougher what he says in private. We've got a shoot downstairs and get an interview with Kieran Keane and whoever else is there to have a chat with. And from us here in Rodney Parade, very good night. Thanks, William. No start. Kieran, uh, that must have been a hugely disappointing game uh, to, to watch as a coach in terms of the way it panned out for Connacht. Oh, I, no, look, I'm not hugely disappointed. Um, I'm just, I, I just think that, that we lost sight of the what what was required at the start. We leaked all those points, probably gifted them some, um, but uh, I was mightily impressed with the with the rebound after the second half, and I thought well, we showed a lot of grit and um, tenacity. Uh, and we're a bit unlucky not to make it closer and perhaps not to get a point out of it. Strange, because the first 15 minutes it was high octane, very exciting rugby, then it just seemed to swing. Maybe on the touch finder they didn't find touch, but the discipline then, a lot of penalties against Connacht in the, in the second quarter, if you like, uh, the second part of that first half. Thank you. Yeah, no, we, we, we had a tough day at the office in terms of the penalties, um, and we'll have a look at those. And, uh, but, you know... There's nothing more I can add about that. I, I don't ref the game. Describe to me in the second half, the positive was all the ball retention, but only the one try. Is that disappointing aspect of it? Is that a hugely disappointing aspect? Of it? it might be a more accurate kind of question. Oh, it's, it's hard to be disappointed when, when the boys really give it their guts and stuff. Like, I'm, you know, of course I'm disappointed that we didn't finish and, and we didn't take our chances. And, and, and there was some average stuff too, but... Man, did we show some grit, and that was that was grand. Were you at halftime? Were you very very disappointed with the team in the dressing room? What did you say to them in terms of of that first half display to get that turnaround in the second half? Um, no, well, no, the horse had bolted. There was no point bloody waving my arms around and mm. fluffing about. Um, so no, we, we narrowed our focus big time, and um, and tried to get the boys together, you know. And, and I thought the way they went about it, certainly in their attitude uh, and the way they they took to the task, I thought that was pretty pretty good and showed a lot of good signs. Will you be looking for a kick-on from that, from the kick-off against Cardiff then in, in eight days' time? Oh, look, we've got a bruised and battered side at the moment and, and you know, it took a long time to get here, strangely enough. Uh, Hopefully it will be a little bit quicker getting home. So there's a little bit of water to go under the bridge, you know. We've got to rally again, and yeah, it's, it'll be tough. But they're a good group, you know, and they're good blokes. So I no, will be alright. It's a funny old game, rugby. We wanted to take the initiative in this game, and we we completely failed to do so. But um, you know that's that's life. Sometimes you can get over aroused, or you can your mind can wander as a player. Um, 
and it's a learning. I mean, we we have to we have to look inside ourselves and see what went right and wrong, and we have the luxury of um, the the computer uh, to do that, and the computer doesn't tell fibs. And what about that first try? Because it looked like that twice they'd actually attacked that. That, that that wing because they could see that the players weren't there that there was space there for them is that was that a, a defensive frailty or was uh, look, we, we did have defensive frailties it wasn't just on that occasion but um, yeah, we, we leaked uh, some tries um, they were tenacious they were a bit more resilient um, yeah, but you know it was a it was a funny old game. Defence probably was our issue in the first half, and, and attack was probably our issue in the second half. So, but in between, showed a lot of grit and guts, and we just got to get a bit more polish about ourselves and 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 about our game, really. I presume you also have to pay some tribute to the Dragons, who you know haven't had the best start to their season either, and they were very, very aggressive at the breakdown. had a, had a great scrum, and you know really put it up to Connacht this this year. Oh, they did, and, and playing at home, they grew a leg, and um, and you know they they got the start that, that they probably wished for, um, so that buoyed them, and, uh, and it gave them the energy as we were failing, uh, flagging, I should say. They were probably growing, so, you know, that's what home advantage is all about. All right, Jake, the player's got to be very, very disappointed at halftime and where, where it stood. Are you taking the positives from the second half or are you just going to look at this as, as a really disappointing result overall? Oh, look, you take both. You take the learnings into next week and, you know, the, the, the minor fixes we'll need. And, um, you know, obviously the, you, you have to look at the things we did well too. As, as KK mentioned, the, you know, there, there were a lot of good things out there and, and a lot of boys really put their hand up. Um, you know, Hefo coming off the bench was uh, was fantastic. You know, Masters was carrying all day. So a lot of boys did a lot of really good stuff. So you, you can't neglect that. But um, but we definitely need to improve. It's a long time since I've seen a Connacht team look so disjointed as they did in the second quarter. So in the closing stage of that first half, everything seemed to be going against you. I, I, look, I think discipline had a big thing to do with it. You know, we, we were on the wrong side of the penalty count. And it's very, very hard to get your teeth into a game when that's happening. You know, you, you couldn't string two or three good defensive sets together or, or you know the same on attack so you know if, you, if you're leaking the odd tackle and, and your penalty and you, you're, you're just on your heels you know and that's what it felt like you were on our heels for probably about 20 minutes there we, we came right right at the end of the half and, and then I think we took that into the next half Obviously you, didn't come, you weren't playing in the second half but what, what was said at half time and what was the main focus that you saw then Kind of coming together on the pitch in the second half to really turn this game on its head. Oh look, no, you know, no hot heads at half time. It was it was cool heads and, and just get back to work. And you know, we we knew we had to score tries, and, and that's what we we went out named to do was to. So whether that was you know looked like holding on to the ball a little bit more, um, yeah, perhaps you know we were still looking for territory. Um, you know, again, as I mentioned, I think the boys, the boys who come off the bench, did a really good job and picking up a bit of energy. Um, but that was all it was, was just go out there and score points. Kieran Kane says it's mostly uh, not, uh, mostly mental, you know, when, they, when you're talking about some of the errors and stuff. Would you back that up and do you think it's something that you can fix? Because obviously Cardiff will punish it as well. Oh, look, it's a mental game. You know, you can be as big and strong as you like, but um, <clears throat> if you can't get your head around it, you, you won't get all that far. So, look, they're not big fixes. They're small fixes and, 
Um, you know, we're by no means going to drop our bottom lip and start sulking. You know, we'll keep our heads up and, and we're back at home next week, which is really exciting. So we'll uh, we'll pick up for that and we'll have a good week. And, uh, you know, we've got an extra day this week <coughs> to train, to, to rest up and, and have a good week. And, uh, you know, again, we look forward to being back at the sports ground. And, and on, on a personal note, in terms of your slight injury that you had, are you happy to be back? Oh yeah! Look, look, I love love playing the game, and um, you know, even though it was disappointing, it, it was nice to get a bit of contact and, and get to run out and get those bit of jitters before uh, you know before you run out there. So I uh, no, look, don't get me wrong, I I loved every minute I was out there, even though it wasn't uh, wasn't ideal. More to come from you, I presume. Now well, that you're back. No, oh, let's hope so. In fairness, that you know, credit to, to JB and, and Masters, Mole, as always. You know, those boys have played. Uh, Phenomenally. Yes, it's great competition though in the back row, isn't there? Oh, it's awesome, you know. Like the boys are all helping each other out, and, and we all pick each other along. So, um, and, and like you know yourself, it's a very, very long season. So, um, I think that's a strength, you know, in, in that area at the moment is is we're all helping each other, and, and, and we're all trying to make each other better. So, um, ah, look, there's competition, but we're all we're all fighting the same fight at the end of the day. So, first of all. We come over here quite a lot, Bernard, yeah. because this is always such a big fixture for Connacht. I think I've been at the last 10 games. I haven't seen an atmosphere like that. I know it's not a massive crowd here tonight, but they are buzzing about what happened yeah. in, in this game. You must be you must be buzzing yourself. No, yeah, I'm happy because I think the players have worked really hard. And the problem, the frustration I've had is that we haven't shown in the last two games for 80 minutes the, the, the amount of work we're putting in. So these boys are hard workers. We're lacking a bit of talent. Um, but we got to play with a with a bit of a chip on our shoulder, and I thought tonight we did. I thought the first half we, we laid down a marker physically, um, we got the lead, and then Connacht obviously had a purple patch and, and, and dominated the second half in terms of possession. But apart from one mall try, I thought we defended pretty well. Um, and defence hasn't been our strong point. I have a new defence coach who only came in with three weeks ago in um, in the preseason, and we've been really frail defensively in in, in preseason and the first two games. But tonight. It, it started to click and thankfully because Connacht would have ripped us apart if we had a defended like we did you know in the previous two games and the first try I think just gave your lads a real boost of confidence I think the belief just came from that didn't yeah it? it was good. it was a good try we got into a shape and you know a nice offload um, in the away channel by our hook rally at D and I think we needed that like we're, we're lacking confidence you know what I mean so I think tonight that win whether, whether we won 3-0 was just important for us to just reinforce that we can win games particularly at home um, a lot of injuries there like yeah, you lost three backs there lost three backs and one of our, our replacement winger had to go off after 10 minutes so we had to put our scrum half on the wing and I think we had to shut down probably our attacking game in the second half yeah. we had to just defend um, which we would obviously we would like to keep attacking but at that stage we were just trying to, trying to close out the game to be honest you know we were, we were so desperate for a win that we weren't you know, the, the bonus point wasn't on our mind you know and uh, um, at first the Connacht they rallied I think uh, Kieran Keane made some changes at half time and they started to keep the ball they kicked yeah. it away a lot in the first half so Connacht are really good side it's a good test for us um, we know we got to get a lot better we know Connacht are missing players tonight so we're not going to get carried away but just just for the for the region it's important to get a first win you know? you're relieved as well as Ed Yeah, listen, there's actually no pressure on me this year because yeah, everyone knows that this is the same squad apart from Gavin Zane um, that, we, that have been together for a couple of years yeah. but you, you want to get a win like your you're, you're week your week is pretty crap when you don't win um, so thankfully I think um, we'll enjoy the weekend we'll enjoy the review Monday and we're going to send a different team we're going to send a, a, a younger side to Ulster next week to try and get ready for the Kings and hopefully then out they'll be inspired by that and step up to the mark OK that was Jake Heenan before him you heard from Kieran Keane and Bernard Jackman we had to chat to Bernard after his side produced a superb win you also heard our initial reaction which has allowed us to just kind of get that out of the way and start to make sense of it but we're quite concerned as we sit here on a Friday night 
at where Connick stand. One win from three, William. A Glasgow team that were beatable, missing some of their front liners, got the better of us. We were worried about that one. We knew the Southern Kings were poor, disjointed, and a bit of a mess, and Connick got the job done. But tonight, very bad first half. Much improved second half in terms of ball retention, but no penetration. Summed up the game. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a lot of it was poor. The first half was was a real mess. They had to make three changes at half time uh, to try to get things back on track. Uh, they did to a certain extent. They retained the ball a lot better in the second half. They scored one try, but they never really looked like adding to that. And the Dragons are a side that isn't used to winning. Yeah. Uh, so. They didn't maybe. I, they didn't seem quite sure what how to play the second half. They had a couple of good breakaways at times, uh, but they won fairly comfortably in the end. And I think it's just a lesson. It, it's all part of the you know sort of a learning curve for Connacht. But it's a bad start. It's you know, some of these games would be considered the easier games uh, at the start of the season. Yeah, we thought this was a. A real opportunity to start the season in the Glasgow at home, Southern Kings at home, Dragons away, one of the away games where you actually have a good record. You've won six times here, and then at home to Cardiff. And now it's looking like, at best, two from four. At best. And Cardiff won't be easy to beat. No, Cardiff won't be easy. Cardiff are never easy. Actually, uh, they have a pretty damn good record against us. <laughs> indeed, they do. Um, look, we always knew that the Dragons were going to be up for this match. We knew it. And, 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 and when you have a team, they actually, the, the, the whole thing tonight actually reminded me a lot of Connacht a couple of years ago. The crowd who started to believe in their team, the team who started to believe in themselves, the, the response that the crowd gave the team. In fact, there was about 5,000 people at it, similar to Connacht. Um, and this is a team, remember, under a new coach as well. Um, and there are talented individuals in that team, not necessarily has been perceived as a talented team, but there are talented individuals. And they, it, it, it was their day. It, they were, they knew, they knew that to survive the season um, with a shred of respect, that they had to beat Connacht, they have to beat the Southern Kings, and all of a sudden their season's looking quite a bit brighter than what most people would have expected. So I say fair juice to the Dragons this evening for their performance. They were hungry. They were very, very aggressive at the breakdown. Um, they turned ball over. They, their defence was exceptional in the second half. And Connacht were poor today or this evening. Um, uncharacteristically a lot of mistakes in the first half they looked quite nervous for some strange reason I don't know why they didn't play to their capabilities much better second half just can't seem to quite break through defences like they used to be able to but maybe that all comes down to the fact that they are working under new systems and new structures Um, there were a couple of opportunities that they turned down that they didn't capitalise on. I think one was a, a beautiful uh, pass by Bundy um, out in the left wing. I think it was to Scholes. And there was another one when they were when they actually lost the ball. They lost the ball at, at the breakdown. It just popped up, and they were about I mean, five really well, and they were about yeah. five metres from their own line. Yeah. And and the Dragons were able to pick it up, turf it downfield. There were two golden opportunities. 
these things change games. Yeah, the momentum was with Connacht at one point there, and if they had scored around 64, 65 minutes, we thought they had a good chance to kick on and win it, such was the, the trouble that the Dragons were in. But let's be honest, the Dragons were in huge trouble because they had three backs injured in the first half. They hung on in there. They had a line-out that was malfunctioning. They still hung on in there because Connacht were poor in finishing their chances. Well, they, they weren't accurate enough. Um, and when the substitutes came on the ones at half time worked but then the other substitutes came on and it it just looked it was a disjointed performance against a poor side yeah. Dragons are a poor side they've, they've got a Brendan they, Jackman said in that interview there he says we're, we're lacking talent he literally said that of course he did and that's fair enough and I think that honesty is fair enough and he said last week that his bench isn't good enough and yet there they are beating us 21-8 yeah and that's a that's a Again, I, I accept that they targeted. We should have expected that. We didn't seem to know what to do once they actually got rolling in the first half. Mm. And we started making a lot of really silly errors, giving away some awful penalties, uh, which finished up with James Cannon getting a yellow card. I, I think that was just a team yellow card. The referee said, I've had enough of you. One of you is going, you'll go. Um, You've got to get a bit beyond that. Um... But all they can do is go back, try to work it out. It's a Kieran Kane has to learn. He has to come up with the players he wants to play and how he wants them to play. And he I hasn't think, done that yet. Anyways. No, he hasn't. And I think tonight he will have seen some players and he'll have thought, OK, they're not as good as I thought they were or I need them to do a lot better or they, there's a lot of remedial work needed with what they're actually doing. Yeah. Um, but you don't get a lot of time. It's not, it's not like you get a little gap now where you can go away. They have to hit the training grounds again early in the week, do, do the video, do the training, get ready for Cardiff. Then they go to play Senecli, who are the champions. Then they go to Ulster. And it just gets progressively harder. And the, the amount of space you have to make alterations and change things is, is quite limited. Okay, uh, someone asked on Twitter two things. One, Connacht going to start focusing on Europe now. Well, yeah. here's a thought. Okay. When the referee blows his whistle next Saturday afternoon at the end of the game... Yes, if we've lost to Cardiff... We will have seven home games left in the Pro 14. Oof. Three of which will be Inter-Pros. Um, and I'm the Merchant of Doom. That has been sitting as a salient fact for me for quite a long period of time. There's a hell of a lot of away games coming. Uh, I agree about Europe. I, I think you have to be you have to be careful that you don't overdo your focusing on Europe. Uh, the Challenge Osp- Cup. The it? Ospreys did that last yeah. year. They played six, won six, and then for reasons that very unfortunate reasons, they finished up. Um, having to play the quarter-final instead of being at home they had to play it in Cardiff and their season went into freefall um, but I think Europe does provide an opportunity but you've got to get your work done in your main competition first and there's a lot of work we'll know a lot more about this team when three more games have been played alright we've uh, analysed this as best we can we have one last thing to do tee up your brilliant interview um, at the Pro 14 launch, I interviewed Greg Garner, who is the Pro 14 match referee uh, manager. Yeah. So he organises all the referees, TMOs. So we had a wide-ranging discussion about 
the role of referees in modern rugby, uh, role of TMOs, assistant referees, communications, the whole package, the sort of stuff that drives fans a bit bananas and teams. And for once we got an exact explanation as to how teams discuss issues they have with referees. Um, which isn't done publicly, and I, I don't have a problem with that, and I also don't have a problem with the fact that referees can't come out and explain. They can't be wheeled out for an interview after a game and told, well, in the 14th minute you did X, and the 23rd minute you did something totally different. But it was just interesting to get a hold of this guy. I think there is a, a need for more openness from referees. They operate in a little bit of a bubble, and this is just the, the opinion of the, of the chap who's actually running and putting referees into position for the season. I'm with Greg Kerner, who has just been appointed as the elite manager for the referees in Pro 14. You're welcome along to the podcast. Can you explain what that job entails? Right, so in the past, um, Ed Morrison uh, was the previous guy who held this role. He was employed as a consultant. He worked three days a week. So it's the first time that the Pro 14 have employed uh, someone full-time as an elite referee manager. So my job is to oversee all the match officiating across the whole tournament. So in a nutshell, I do the appointments, the performance reviewing, uh, the training programmes, and to make sure that we've got a pipeline of referees ready to step into the tournament in five years' time. So when the top guys like Nigel Owens and John Lacey retire, we've got guys ready to come into the tournament and take their place. And I do that in conjunction with the five unions now and the referee managers across those five unions. So it's you're, you, you're in charge of the training programmes for referees at lower levels and that's part of the bringing them up process? So what we've done, so not in charge of the referees at lower levels because that's done by the individual unions, but what we've set up, firstly, first one, one of the first things we set up doing this role is we've got an elite squad of referees who will be refereeing the Pro 14 and then below that we've set up a development squad of referees across the Pro 14. So the idea is there that each union, each of the five countries involved, they nominate referees who they see as the future sort of stars so to speak and we've got them on this panel because the biggest challenge for the Pro 14 and all the countries is how do the referees and players make the jump from the top of the domestic game to the Pro League. So for example the All-Ireland League league and across Ireland, the Welsh Premiership, the BT Premiership in Scotland, how do referees at the top of that, how do they make the jump because the jump at the moment is huge in terms of the play, the professionalism, the standard. So by creating this squad, um, we're going to set up a lot of exchange programmes between all the countries. These guys um, will meet, and girls, will be assistant referees within the Pro 14, so they get to work with the likes of Nigel Owens, John Lacey, George Clancy, and see how they do it and learn from them. And we'll also have occasions during the year where we'll get together with the development squad and they can learn off each other. We'll have mini camps, we'll have technical meetings, um, training programmes across the whole thing and I will give them as much support as I possibly can from the Pro 14 to help them make that jump into the Pro League. And for the Pro League itself, Pro 14, are we going to see this year TMOs at every game? Uh, every game that's broadcast, so top of my head, round one, the Ospreys Zebra game is not being broadcast so there won't be a TMO there, but I would say 90% of the games will have a TMO. Does that, does that provide a problem now in, in, in modern rugby where referees are probably used to having a TMO at the top level and suddenly they're thrust into a game where they don't have it? Yeah, I mean, my 
sort of mantra, and we've had the referees here today at the launch, and we've had a good meeting with them, and we've spent most of the day talking about the TMO, is our policy and our philosophy is we want referees to make decisions on the pitch, whether there's a TMO there or there's not a TMO there. So the referee makes the decisions on the pitch to the best of his or her ability, and the better referees will get the decisions right more often. And then the TMO is then used as a sort of reserve parachute or if the referee needs clarification or he's missing some information. So we don't want TMOs to referee the game for the referees. We want the referees and the assistant referees to referee the game and then to use the TMO as and when needed within World Rugby's TMO protocol to help the game and to help the credibility of the game and the performance. It sometimes strikes me, somebody who watches, just watches games and then commentates on games, observes games, that occasionally, what you've just described, TMOs can take over the decision-making process, maybe inadvertently. Is it, is it supposed to be more of a conversation between the on-field referee and the TMO? So we want the TMOs and referees, we want them to speak normally, we want them to explain the decision, and we want them to come to the right decision. So we don't want them to use codes, you know, secret special codes that maybe some people have a perception that referees and TMOs use. We just want them to have a conversation, describe what they're seeing on the screen and come to a decision together. Now, the referee is the captain of the team and he will lead that conversation. There are occasions when an assistant referee or TMO will come in and then it's a joint decision-making process, but the referee has to control that and ultimately he or she, he's going to make the final decision um, as to the outcome of the, of the decision and situation. Is part of the problem uh, that sometimes the communications equipment just doesn't seem to be up to the job in noisy grounds? Um, look, maybe there's lots of things. I mean, I think what's really interesting is that when referees use the TMO is they're thrust into a situation which doesn't come naturally. And having been there myself very recently, it's one of the hardest situations you'll ever face as a referee on the pitch. When the game has stopped... You're looking at a screen, you could be looking at it from 80 metres away, it could be raining, you know, the screen quality couldn't be great. You know that every voice, every word that comes out of your mouth has been broadcast live on TV. You mm. know that everybody is watching you and you know that you ultimately are not going to be forgiven if you get the decision wrong. Mm. You've got players coming at you, trying to put pressure on you, you then get a restless crowd. Could be up to 50,000 people, you know, out here in the, in the middle of the Aviva Stadium, putting pressure on you. And you've got to deal with that pressure. Pressure. You've got to deal with that situation, and it's not easy. And I just don't think people quite understand, unless you've been in that situation, how sometimes difficult it can be to make decisions there. That's why I want to encourage people to referee on instinct and make the best decision they can, given the information in front of them, and then only use the TMO when needed, when they need to. You talk about players coming at, at referees there. Sometimes when you're listening to game, particularly on headphones, there's like a constant babble going on, which seems to have crept into the game. Um, certainly many years ago, the only person who could speak to the referee was the captain. Uh, is that an issue? And I'm not saying that it's offensive stuff, but they're just babbling. All at the, it's, like, it's like a hum in the background. You can, you can plainly hear it sometimes. Yes, I mean, one of the things about rugby and why rugby is such a special game is because of the values that it holds respect, discipline, team ethos, sportsmanship. And we're really keen to keep those values within the game. And slowly, slowly, year after year, we have, I've had these conversations with people for the last 10, 15 years about dissent, appealing, 
uh, negative behaviour, we don't want those in the game. So we're actively encouraging the referees to deal with that as they say fit on the pitch. Now, there's no one, one, um, one fit model. So we're not saying in every situation where you get peeling, you have to do A. But if it doesn't promote the values of the game and puts the game in a negative and puts the league in a negative light, then we want referees to deal with that. And we're working together with the coaches, with the referees, to come up with an image, a philosophy um, of how we want the game to be played in the Pro 14. And there is no place in our league for, for that sort of player behaviour if it has a negative impact on, on the crowd, on the game, on the referees and on the, the, the picture of the sport in the public. When you're looking at teams, is there a structure for teams to actually, after a game, maybe say, we think this decision was wrong, can you explain why this decision was made? Can, can they ask a referee to make a decision or to explain a decision? And I'm not talking about immediately, I'm not talking about a shouting match in the corridor after a game. I'm talking about in a structured manner or do they come to you and say, can you review this or do you have a review team? Yeah, so lots of different things there. So there's different ways that we review performance um, from a refereeing side of it. So, you know, first of all, you've got uh, performance reviews who will go to games and they will then complete a report alongside the referee via a system called AMS, which is an online system based in Australia, which is used across every league in, 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 in world rugby, um, from world rugby right down to the semi-professional leagues across the union. So they will complete a report and they'll give a, a factual account of what happened in the game. And the referee will give his side of the view as well. There's also, um, within myself and the referee managers, we'll then sit down and we'll have an, a weekly meeting where we'll review performance together. Now that'll be via a video call or conference call. So we'll go through every single game and we'll make a judgment based on our opinion of what we saw in the game, of how well the referee refereed the game, what were the issues of the game within the game, did he get the big calls right or wrong, what does that referee need to do moving forward to improve, because that will then drive selection. Then on the other side of that, you've got the coach club referee relationship so what I've said to the coaches today and what we've agreed as a group moving forward is that after every game if they've got issues they can email me directly send me the video clips I'll have a look at them and then I'll get back to them with feedback so there is definitely that process there has to be that process and that they know if they've got an issue in the game they can come straight to me and then we'll resolve that issue together and they'll get an answer within you know by the Wednesday morning of the following week so at least they've then, whether they like the answer, they might not like it all the time, but they get answer, they get clarity, and they get consistency on the messages. So as long as they get the message, then at least they've got time then to prepare for the next round of matches, whether it be an issue with their team or they want clarification on something they've seen. So they, they get a chance to draw a line under it? Yeah, they get closure. Um, and look, if I, myself and the coach, disagree, well, that's when I bring my wider management team in, the referee managers, and we'd come to cons- some consensus then. Um, and we'd then feed back. And we're, we're you know, very open to listening to coaches' point of view. I've realised straight away that my opinion is never always going to be correct. So it's about having dialogue with the coaches. It's about building relationships with them and the clubs so that when they do have an issue, they come direct to us and the referees, and it's dealt with in a, in a calm and appropriate manner. And do you think there's a good supply of referees coming in to Pro 14 or, or is it slightly, are you slightly behind on where you'd like to be on that? We've got some fantastic referees coming into Pro 14. I mean, we've got five unions. We've got the South African Union, for example, who've just come on board now. Um, we've got an ex 
test referee who went to the World Cup, Stuart Berry, who's coming up to the Pro 14, who's went to the World Cup in 2015. He's refereed 35 Super Rugby games, so he's one of their top performers. Uh, we've got Quinton Immelman, who's done three seasons in Super Rugby. Um, so we're getting some excellent referees from South Africa. Within our unions, we've got some very, very promising referees. For example, um, the Junior World Cup last year, the two semi-finals were refereed by Mike Adamson and Frank Murphy from Scotland and Ireland. So they're on the World Rugby Radar. We've got Ben Whitehouse, who's on the World Rugby Radar. Andrew Brace, who's in the Southern Hemisphere running touch in the Rugby Championship. So we've got those four guys. They're the next generation coming through. They're going to be very, very good, and they're going to be around for a long time. At the top end, we've got Nigel Owens, you know, who many view him as the best referee in the world in our tournament. So he's the flag bearer. He's flying. He's captaining the ship at the moment. We've got that sort of next group of referees who I've just mentioned all coming through the system they'll all be in the Champions Cup this year doing big games and then below that we've got some fantastic referees coming through each of the individual unions you look in Ireland for example we've got Ireland we've got two referees at the Women's World Cup Sean Gallagher and Joy Neville ex-Ireland uh, women's captain she's done extremely well at the World Cup and you know I'm sure she'll be involved in some huge games as the tournament tournament progresses so we've got some fantastic prospects across all the unions and there's structures in place now that we are already in place that I want to utilise and build on to make sure that we give all those referees the best support possible we can so they are able to come through and when they come into the Pro 14 they're ready to succeed. Frank Murphy's an ex-Connacht player. Um, how good is it to see ex-players who played at a very top level going into refereeing? It happens in another sport that I follow a lot is, is cricket. It doesn't happen as much as it used to. But they bring a certain maybe world-weary eye. In other words, they maybe know when they're being some guys trying it on or they just spot things. Do, do they bring a different approach, ex-players? Yeah, they do. I mean, they, they bring their own expertise. Um, Frank and Mike, they fit they fitted really well into the group we've got at the moment. And there are occasions when, you know, we want a player's perspective on things. So, for example, we're looking at a, an incident on a, on a clip and we're reviewing it as a group. Sometimes we need to know, well, you know, so Frank and Mike are perfect examples. Well, what are the players thinking here? What are the players trying to achieve here? What are they trying to do? Because if we can understand where they're coming from, then we've got more information and we can make more informed decisions. Um, so it's a great thing that ex-players are taking up the whistle and, you know, there's, a, there's definitely a place for them in the game as it moves forward. Um, we've got, say you've got um, Frank and Mike, who are coming through, South Africa, Egon Seconds. He's coming through as an ex-player. He's in Super Rugby. He could be in the Pro 14, you know, within the next six months, a year. Australian Nick Berry, who's in Super Rugby and on the World Rugby Radar. So there's definitely a place for ex-players. And I'd encourage any ex-player who's thinking about it to just give it a go. I mean, that's what I did. That's how I got into refereeing. A couple of injuries and, you know, someone asked me to referee an under-10s game and I did and I enjoyed it and... I've been very, very lucky and made a career out of it. So if there's any ex-players out there who uh, want to get involved, join your local society, give it a go. You never know, you might like it. And talking about the Southern Hemisphere referees, in, is in, will there be a slight dif- difference of interpretation or will there be a, a Northern Hemisphere interpretation? Because it's always a slight bone of contention. Yeah. And one of the one of the big challenges with a cross border competition such as ours is is consistency. So it's not I don't see it as a, a southern hemisphere, northern hemisphere issue. I see it as a, a union issue. So we've got five different unions within the competition. So we've got referees from five different countries. 
very, very different cultures, very, very different setups in their own country, very different backgrounds. The challenge is, is how do we bring those referees together and get them to be more consistency? So the challenges with the South Africans, for example, is how do we integrate them into our tournament? So, for example, the first three rounds, they're all three of them, because um, there's also um, JD, who's uh, on our development squad. So the three South African referees are coming up to the north for three weeks. So, for example, round one, they're in Wales. They're going to spend the week afterwards in Wales, sitting with the referee manager in Wales, sitting with the Welsh referees, talking about the games, reviewing the games, having a technical meeting, training, getting to know each other. So it brings everybody closer. Week two, they're in Scotland. So they'll be doing exactly the same in Scotland. Week four, week three, sorry, we're sending down Mike Adamson, Frank Murphy, Andrew Bray, Sean Gallagher down to South Africa for two weeks to referee in the referee the Kings and the Cheetahs down there they'll be doing exactly the same with the South African referees so the challenge is how do we get the countries working together because we're only going to get more consistency if we get everybody working together and delivering the same messages across the whole tournament Positives from the game to finish, we don't have a lot of time guys so we've got to be really quick on this, Dave Heffernan was brilliant Excellent He's, he's been a player who's been sort of on the radar as an up-and-coming, promising hooker for a couple of years now, two or three, four, three years. And uh, delighted to see he made an impact when he came on. Capture in the summer has just filled him with loads of self-belief and, and he just seems to be sparking them. Absolutely. Um, he's definitely one to watch and has been for a couple of years now and I'm sure he will, he will, he will um, develop a lot more even in the future Jakey did mention him actually in the post game press, uh, presser and he also mentioned Owen Masterson who was excellent Owen Masterson had a fabulous game yeah. um, he's a very clever That's rugby player 80 minutes in a game where Colin did not play for 80 minutes but he was excellent yeah he's, 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 a, he's a clever guy uh, he's coming back from a really really serious injury yeah. uh, sort of a career threatening injury yeah. who is has taken a little bit of time to get back came back last season didn't look didn't look ma- not so, match fit and also not up to the speed of the game. Tonight, a couple of times, he did things that, that were really needed. He got around the pitch. He made some good tackles. Um, he just seems to be the... Na- he's one of these players that seems to be in the right place at the right time. That's a great knack to have. Um, and I think he will go from strength to strength. And I hope he stays fit and stays strong because he's he's crucial part of Connacht. Um, after that, it's a little bit tough. Uh, it was just one of those nights. Yeah, definitely. Okay, final thoughts from Lenny. More to come next week, hopefully, against Cardiff. Yeah. Don't yeah. no need to panic yet. We'll leave that to Kieran Keane and that bad wouldn't panic in a gazillion years. Well, he's not going to show us if he is anyway, well, is he? he's the most relaxed and guarded. He's either the most guarded man ever or the most relaxed man ever. But yeah, he's certainly tonight, and rightly so. Game three, no need for him to be jumping up and down. Um, well, he, he he won't be panicking, but he won't be very angry come the video review. Yeah. That could be very nasty. There could be a, a few guys being called out and asked why they did such and such, which is, is the joy of, of sport. It's very hard. If you look at it, we've had three games... And we, we had a, a team that basically the same team took to the park in the first and second game. We've had seven changes, seven changes for today. We Whether still, that was a good idea, we were wondering. But yeah, and we still haven't we still haven't seen some players. Okay. So, you know, I think I think Kieran Keane probably hasn't sort of come to the has 
conclusion, you know, he's trying to give everyone an opportunity, but he still wants to have some consistency in the team, and he still wants to give people opportunity, and he still wants to see who he does think are his best 15, so to speak. And there are also players, of course, who he may he may look at and say, well, actually, they've got much more potential that we can develop. You know, so he needs he needs some time as well to look at these players. Yeah, he does. It'll be interesting to see the side that's selected for Cardiff. Um, but in all honesty, he needs a win. Because it's the Scarlets and Ulster away, and we're not winning those games. Not at the moment, we're not. I think most of the issues in the forwards are probably fixable. Scrums, lineouts, they can all be a bit dodgy. Yeah. I mean, lineouts were much better tonight, yeah. especially defensively. And, and, well, and as well, you know, scrums depend on, you know, referee's interpretation depends on the people you're playing against. You know, it's. it's yeah. I, think, I think most of those are fixable. I. I probably would be more concerned with the lack of penetration in the backs, but remember, we did have massive changes in, in the backs. Yeah, it was quite disjointed. It was so yeah. Hallery went off. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Lenny. Thanks very much. Chat to you next week. Or Alan will chat to you next week. William, bye bye. Up Mayo. Oh, yeah. Seriously, an entire podcast. Didn't even mention it. I've told you, this is my plan, right? Firmly believe we're going to win. Firmly planning for us, Lizzie. Fingers crossed. That's it from us. Thanks, folks.